shot and a great save by Dane St. Clair. Shot by Matt DeRosa, and it's in! Matt DeRosa puts the Terps up 1-0. Staden coming forward now, he had two last week. He winds up the left-footed shot, it sneaks into the bottom corner. Bin outside the box, a shot with the right foot, and it's in! Paul Bin wins it for the Terps! Now Sadich plays inside the 18, the shot, and a goal for the Terps! Leaves it for Herbe, cutting it back to the middle, and it's in! Paul Bin gets the goal for Maryland. Elney has the room, he shoots it in! Maryland has a 1-0 lead on the goal from the senior, Sebastian Elney. Eli Cronali, the deep free kick, sent into the box now. Herbe there, the back post, and it's through the legs and in! Donovan Pines is claiming it as the 6-5 man does a cartwheel on the far side, doubling Maryland's lead. And that'll do it! Maryland's California dream have become a reality. For the first time in a decade, the Terps are national champions. Ladies and gentlemen, get on your feet and welcome your Ludwig Lowdown, featuring Brendan Hartlove and Tom Hendo. Welcome into the third episode of the Ludwig Lowdown, our Maryland men's soccer podcast here at WMUC Sports Radio. I'm Brendan Hartlove, joined by my good friend and our men's soccer insider, Tom Hindle. Tom, thank you again for joining me on the podcast. Always a pleasure, Brendan. I'm happy to be here for two weeks in a row. <laughs> so we have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about here today, but we do have an interview coming up with Eric Matsalevich, one of the forwards on the team, and Eric sat down with me the other day, and we had a nice, very long talk about so many different things from uh, him growing up playing soccer to uh, Maryland's championship season last year. And we had a lot of fun talking about some of the guys, some of the off-the-field stuff as well. So stick around for that. But first, we have to talk about the game last Friday night against UCLA out in Los Angeles. The Terps traveled out to the West Coast, and they had some success on the West Coast the last time they were out there just in Santa tad. Barbara. Just a little bit, lifting that national championship trophy, but not quite the same result this time in L.A. against the Bruins. And it's a coast-to-coast rivalry. We talked about it a lot in the last episode, but it started going very well for Maryland. Eric Matzlevich put them on the board very early in the sixth minute, scoring from open play, something the Terps hadn't done quite yet. And so things looked to be going very well, but then a mistake by Russell Shealy in the goal off of a cross-slash-shot from Milan Olowski. A miskick. Miskick, really, when you get down to it. And it went through Shealy's arms and into the back of the net. And you're tied up at one. It was back and forth a little bit throughout the rest of the first half. And you get through the first 45, tied at one. And what were your first half takeaways from that performance? Well, I thought it was an interesting 45 minutes. For for Maryland, it, it was a very attacking first mm-hmm. half. And you, you definitely had a sense that, as with all games, both teams really had had a clear idea of what they wanted to do, but I thought it was the case of one team executed and the other really didn't. Mm-hmm. Maryland came in looking to attack. You had Eli Crignali playing at that number 10 with Luke Brown out with a knock, mm-hmm. and he seemed to have really great chemistry with Matt Levich up front and then Padilla and Gielan on the wings, and Maryland looked really dangerous for most of that first half. Meanwhile, UCLA, despite being at home, looked to soak up a little bit of pressure and then hit on the counterattack. But really, it ended up being Maryland counterattacking a lot more because UCLA's defensive transition on the night was fairly abysmal. Mm-hmm. So for Maryland, playing 45 minutes and really only scoring one with the amount of possession and really level of dominance mm-hmm. that they had was 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 really unusual, to be honest. You, mm-hmm. Looking at the highlights, looking at just the, just the stats and the overall performance, they deserve to probably be up two or three at halftime. And then having that that kind of, whether you call it bad luck or lack of kind of that fi- instinct in the mm-hmm. final third, 
then giving up a goal or giving away a goal really yeah. and then going into the break tied at one it was it was kind of one of those things that if you're a coach you'd really be peeved about yeah and it was it was kind of clear that Sasha was not talking to him the other day that he wasn't thrilled with the performance as you can expect but we'll get into the second half before we recap all of that and again Milan Olowski this time a very legitimate goal uh, for UCLA, Shealy didn't have a chance on on that one, and that put the Bruins up two to one. And then the third goal for UCLA, it was a defensive breakdown. What was the term that you used? A comedy of errors. Yes, a comedy of errors uh, between the defenders, and then again, Shealy, a pretty big mistake on his part, cost Maryland a third goal. Well, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan, Brendan. Oh yeah. I have seen quite a bit of tragic defending prior to the signing of Virgil van Dijk in January of 2018. And that just that that whole sequence was just sloppy. Mm-hmm. It was really sloppy. And um Maryland has a lot of experience there and obviously a lot of talent back there. But Sheely really misjudged a ball that he should have just cleared. That that he's got no reason to not put a foot through it, send it into row Z, call it whatever you want. And then you had a couple of centre-backs dive in. You had kind of a lack of clarity about who was going where, mm-hmm. who was going to cover the line. And then Sheely kind of scrambled for it. And before you knew it, three Maryland players were on the ground and embarrassed. And Oloski was wheeling away, celebrating a hat trip. And he only should have had one of his three on the night. Yeah. So it's almost like not only was it a goal and an embarrassing goal, but also kind of demoralizing for that yeah. fact. To to see a guy who's had a decent game, but not a great game, mm-hmm. score three against you, mm-hmm. really, really disappointing. Yeah, and so Maryland was able to pull one back through Brian Padilla, the sophomore, getting his first collegiate goal, an absolute screamer of a left-footed free kick. It was incredible. And we saw him do it in the spring game against Bethlehem Steel, and well, I'm, the people that were there and saw the clip online. And that left foot has some magic in it for <laughs> yeah. sure. And again, he put it right in the top corner, wheeling away in celebration. And it was a great moment for him. It gave Maryland a little bit of hope late on, but they had chance after chance at the end. And a lot of the possession was in Maryland's attacking half for the yeah. final 20 minutes of that game. But they weren't able to find that elusive tying goal. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It was honestly, the last, the last 20 minutes was the was the story of UCLA's goalie, yeah. to be honest. And he was absolutely terrific. He made save after save after save. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when someone's hot, they're hot. You couldn't really do anything. Maryland was throwing everything mm-hmm. up into that final third. You had Johannes Bergman practically playing as a striker for the yeah. last 10 minutes and still just couldn't squeeze one across the line. There was one particular save, I believe it was in like the 84th minute, where... I think Nick Richardson, for some reason, was on the left-hand side and whipped in across. And um, a UCLA centre-back tried to clear it, completely misdirected his header, Mm -hmm. and it appeared just one of those balls that's destined for the back of the net. Mm -hmm. You know, if you'd been at Ludwig, the fans would have been rising ready. (laughs) And keeper out of nowhere just tipped it around the post. And that kind of, for me personified that mm-hmm. second half performance he was all over the place yeah so the game finishes 3-2 in LA in favor of the Bruins but really there were a lot of positives to take from that game now yeah. obviously you look at it on paper not great Maryland gets a loss they're now one and two 
um, and it, it doesn't seem to be going too well. But in that game, you saw the midfield really kind of become a lot more fluid. And I know that's a term we've used a lot, but it was <laughs> against South Florida. It wasn't against Virginia, and it was against UCLA. So they really were kind of clicking. And Nick Richardson is a guy that stood out to you in that midfield. Yeah, absolutely. So I think with UCLA being particularly poor in the defensive transition, Richardson had the opportunity to showcase really one of his best traits, which is when he gets on the ball in space, the man can really pick a pass. Like, really yeah. pick a pass. And he was given the opportunity to do so. And, you know, he played he played some great balls. He started some counterattacks. And if you, if you look... If you watch the highlights from that as well, he also, off his off-ball work was outstanding. Mm -hmm. With Eli playing much further in front of him, he was able to kind of shepherd that midfield area, and he was always cutting off the opportunities for long balls from UCLA. Mm -hmm. So he simultaneously, when he has the ball, starting Maryland attacks, while also making it very difficult for UCLA to do the same. Yeah. So I think with him kind of being relatively new to that six role, that's the most promising performance you know, that we've seen from him yeah. so far this year. But it's just also a question of then, can you bring Luke back into the midfield, mm -hmm. achieve that same kind of success? It kind of seems like there's this rotating cycle of maybe two of the three mm -hmm. really clicking, and then that third, whoever it is, yeah. just not quite being that. But, yeah. you know, like you said, a lot of positives, a um, lot, of, lot of really good performances individually. Um, an outstanding press from the front three, yeah. I thought, and unlucky not to get a result. Yeah. And when I talked to the guys the other day, I asked them what was the biggest positive takeaway from this game, and several of them said our press is starting to click, and that was kind of a big point of emphasis in the preseason from Sasha Srotsky talking about um, trying to get the press down and where everybody should be in these very – uh, specific in those movements and it seems like they're finally starting to get all that so that was one of the positive takeaways one of the negatives we talked about Russell Shealy not having the greatest of games El Sasho has alternated goalkeepers in games so far Shealy getting the start against South Florida to begin the season Nicholas Newman and Audi Field against Virginia Shealy gets the nod again out in LA now we go into the game against Akron you have to think that it's probably going to be Newman because that rotation may continue, but also based on the performance that Sheely had and not exactly being uh, confidence-inspiring uh, yeah. in, in that performance. So we'll have to see what happens, and we'll get a quick turnaround on Friday with Akron and then Villanova on Monday. So we'll see kind of how that goalkeeper situation shakes out. But it comes up as a loss on the stat sheet, but really some positives to take away from Absolutely. that as well. Absolutely. And following that loss, Maryland dropped from their number three spot in the national rankings all the way down to number 24. And so obviously it's early in the season. Rankings don't matter too much. But I could not tell you the last time that Maryland soccer was ranked lower than Maryland football. I don't remember the last time that's that's happened, if it ever has. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to fact check that. But they did fall quite a bit and obviously take that with a grain of salt early in the season. So we'll now move into our interview with Eric Matslevich. He sat down with me the other day, and we had a great chat, a great guy. Um, we laughed about a lot of stuff, but also very talked. Very nice lad. Very, very nice guy. Um, and so we will now go to our interview with Maryland forward Eric Matslevich. So I'm now joined by Maryland forward Eric Matslevich. And Eric, you want to tell people how to actually pronounce your name? Because I've heard it pronounced so many different ways <laughs> over your time here. Yeah, it's you got it right on the head. It's Matt Salevich. 
But what a lot of people don't realize is that my middle name is just as hard as my last name. So it's Eric Romanowski Matsalevich. Family names? Uh, yeah. Well, my yeah, my middle name is my mom's last name. My last name is my dad's last name. Um, Polish background. But yeah, it's been uh, in class on TV. <laughs> it's been brutal. Some, some really bad... Uh, pronunciations yeah i'm sure that was a great time for substitute teachers and oh grade school and gosh, everything. terrible just oh. eric m the, eric yeah, they, m it is either i hear eric and then a pause and my hand goes up and i'm like, <laughs> like yeah that's just, me you know you know it's coming so yeah we'll start out you growing up because looking at you sitting here it's hard to imagine you as a little kid playing soccer you're <laughs> such a big guy such like a presence on the field so you're a local guy growing up kind of playing in this area but you had a few adventures along the way as well yeah absolutely obviously born and raised in dc I don't know, 202 till I die. Love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so kind of the typical, you know, getting into sports, grew up playing soccer, obviously, when I was a little kid, baseball, track. My mom never let me play football. Um, too scared about concussions, which I get it for a mom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and I, as a kid, I, I had so much energy. So, and soccer was the, the only sport that allowed me to run around and, <laughs> and be that, that crazy person that I was, um, little did I know that you can't just be crazy anymore on the field. Um, so yeah, started playing soccer and then did the whole kind of wreck to travel to, to then eventually, um, seeing the shift in the U S soccer in terms of bringing on the Academy. And so I, I was Fortunately, young enough and of age to start uh, in the pre-academy, the under-14. And so I started with a club called Potomac. And there's still a club right now. Obviously, don't have the academy anymore. Um, so I played for Potomac um, under-14 and under-15. Um, and then, sadly, that club was no more. Uh, so... I made the transition from under 15, under 16 to go to Bethesda and um, can tell you right there was one of the best uh, switches I've ever made. Um, so, yeah, I can't I can't say highly enough of Bethesda, um, the coaches there, the, the academy, the way they play. Um, it's phenomenal. And to this day. You can even see the the activity they're making in in the U.S. Soccer Development Academy by challenging with a lot of MLS academies such as D.C., New York, um, the big names. So that was awesome to be uh, a part of Bethesda and then uh, was really fortunate enough my freshman and sophomore year of high school to be invited to go to the residency program, the under 17 national team um, in Bradenton, Florida. And again, incredibly eye-opening experience was just something that um, I never thought that I'd be a part of. Uh, to traveling to so many tournaments and, and playing with, with the best players um, in the country for your age group. It was, it was an unbelievable experience and, and obviously something that I'll take with me um, forever. So a very unconventional high school by doing the whole athletic to academic, just very unconventional. And then after my sophomore year of high school, 
I was, again, uh, very fortunate to get the opportunity to be scouted from the under-17 national team to go overseas to Reading FC in the championship in, uh, in England. And so I went on a trial, fortunate enough to do well enough to ask, to ask them to, to, for me to come over. Um, so I stayed there in Reading for about a year playing with the under-18s and the under-23s, going here and there, living the dream in, in England, playing every day. It was it was an unbelievable experience to obviously to get to know new people and have some unbelievable coaches that really opened my eye to different ways of playing the game and whatnot. And so, unfortunately, I couldn't stay there uh, much longer because I couldn't uh, work permits and work visa issues. So came back to the U.S. my senior year and played with the D.C. United Academy. Um, and the thing that really attracted me to D.C. was the opportunity to play with the first team and train with the first team. And again, it was an unbelievable experience playing with D.C., um, getting to be around an MLS team and especially an MLS team that was trying to make such great strides. And you can see the repercussions of it now with Audi Field being built. Obviously, them acquiring new signings, Paul Ariola, Wayne Rooney, uh, just unbelievable people. So, yeah, that was an experience that, that was obviously amazing. And it was great coming back my senior year because I could also be close to Maryland. Um, and that's kind of something that I left out of <laughs> me going up. So, yeah, I committed to Maryland when I was, I think, ooh, in eighth grade, like the end of my eighth in eighth grade. Um and came to Maryland for a day. They did the works, took me around campus. I met the guys. Um, and then I think within 48 hours, I committed. Um, fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the program. Uh, everything about Maryland. I, I, I can't imagine what uh, a school that was, more, was better than Maryland. Um, and it's crazy because... When you travel around for the Big Ten and when you travel around to all these universities, I go to them and I'm just like, I could never <laughs> see myself at this place. Um, so, yeah, it was unbelievable uh, senior year. Coming back, um, playing with D.C., being around the guys at Maryland my senior year, um, and then eventually coming here. And then I guess the rest is history. So committing to college in eighth grade – that's a long I, in eighth grade. I didn't know what I was having for lunch that day in eighth grade. <laughs> how how easy of a decision was it in eighth grade, knowing that you're kind of committing your future? A, a lot can change in those years, including going over and playing in England and everything. How was that decision made, kind of you personally as an as an eighth grader and your family and all that? Yeah, obviously huge support from my parents. I couldn't have done any of all my whatever I've done in my soccer career right now without the support of my parents. Um, so they were, they were very, um, supportive of whatever school I went to. Um, also my parents are very into the whole education thing as any parent should be. So, um, they were excited for the opportunities that my soccer kind of track had with being partnered with a really good school. And so I went, obviously being in the area, you know what Maryland is and you know the program, uh, that supersedes um here so i like i said came on a visit and committed 
And I think my parents knew that I, they, they just knew. Because again, a lot of people in their college commitment process, they say, oh, I want a school on the West Coast. I want a big school, a small school. I kind of, my only requirement was that good soccer school. And at that time, Maryland was the best. And obviously, Maryland is still the best in my opinion right now. So, uh, love, love Maryland. Um, you know, my decisions were all, all around Maryland, what could have happened. And so, I, I, yeah, like you said, looking back on it now, it's kind of yeah. blows you away <laughs> about why I made the decision, but it's an unbelievable decision to make. And so you went over and played in England for a little bit, oh, totally different culture. And especially for a kid that age, it kind of changes everything. But you're also still trying to find yourself as a soccer player. What do you think was the biggest kind of step in your game, the way you played going over in England? What did you take most out of that experience on the field? Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd probably say two things. The professionalism that's in England. And also the work rate and work ethic that's in England. Professionalism, obviously, you have the Premier League, the championship. You have such a hierarchy and a soccer pyramid in England. And every club is trying to be the best, trying to make money. And you can't have that without a certain professionalism. So from the academies to installing a 9-to-5 work ethic from how you conduct yourself around the training ground, how you conduct yourself meeting new people. Professionalism is something that from my experience in England that I'll always take and I'll always have with me. And also the work ethic, as I said before, everyone in England, if you're part of an academy there, you want to become a professional. Obviously, you have the gap between people that sign a professional contract and people that fall off because of whatever reasons. And so you can't do that without a strong work ethic. And you can't do that without proving to the club, proving to the coaches that you have that certain edge or that certain extra uh, work ethic to, to be at that next level. Because when you get to the next level, skill isn't really enough. You obviously have, you know, your Messi's, Ronaldo's that can hit a ball from, <laughs> you know, 40 yards out into the top corner. But most professional players, they really separate themselves by their work ethic and by what they do not only at the training ground and on the field but off and what's great about england is that when i went to reading i was in the academy um but then you're around first team guys all the time so you see you know players that are playing for their national team here and there you know I, I remember going to um, uh, like training one day and it was an international break and there was a player for the Welsh national team that was playing for Reading called Hal Robson Kanu and he was just, I, I saw him one day in the training ground and then the next day I saw him on TV and it was unbelievable to see that comparison and to see that kind of like, I, that, I want that to be me mm-hmm. and you can translate that to kind of Maryland, what comes back here is that you know, we have players like Chase Gasper, who just graduated, um, killing it from Minnesota right now. We have Dane, who's, again, killing it from Minnesota. We see all these players, Subasa for Toronto, just unbelievable players that were in the program. And then they take that and are killing it in the MLS. And it's just such a work ethic and it's such a drive that you want to happen, which is, again, another reason why Maryland was just an unbelievable a huge factor for why I wanted to come here. 
And so you talked about your time coming back and playing with DC United a little bit, and you were in and around that first team. Was there a certain player, a guy you looked up to, maybe one that kind of took you under his wing a little bit, or who was kind of one of the one or a few of those key figures when you were with DC? Yeah, I'd say two. And surprisingly, I'm a forward. The two that, because <laughs> in training you kind of you hang out with the forwards, but you also hang out with the center backs. Yeah. So two players, Steve Birnbaum and Bobby Boswell. Mm-hmm. Bobby Boswell, obviously, I believe he's retired right now. Um, finished his career in Atlanta, and then Steve Birnbaum, obviously, is again killing it as a center back for DC right now, and had uh, you know spells with the national team. And them two were obviously incredible people, and. I don't want to say father figures, but very heavy uh, mentors. Um, Steve Birnbaum, obviously coming from the whole college setup Mm -hmm. and knowing what it's like to be a student athlete, knowing what the pressures are of that and uh, how to translate that into making a life in the MLS and being a top center back. And then Bobby was just unbelievable in the way he was, you know, I think he's 32, 33 when I was there. And he, he was just... You know, I never knew that a guy could be so funny, but so serious. Um, he, you know, you he expected a lot from you, but then he, within his expectations, he taught a lot of life lessons, both on being a professional and and what it what it takes to be successful as a student athlete. Um, so those two were just unbelievable um, mentors when I was at DC, and I'll I'll be forever in debt for what they taught me. And so as we move along in your career, you get to Maryland, and as somebody that committed to the program in eighth grade, what was it like the first time walking out under the Ludwig lights? Unbelievable. You know, you watch you watch it both in person and on TV, and you're already kind of starstruck about, I, I don't know, this could be here, like what this kind of atmosphere was like. Um, you step out under Ludwig, um, with the expectations, the bright lights, everything you could ask for. The fans is an I it's I'm getting chills right now thinking <laughs> about it. You know, it's it's unbelievable experience, and I remember my freshman year playing uh, UCLA as one of our first games, and again an unbelievable opponent to go up against, and obviously a very special. Uh, game for me one of my first goals in uh, college soccer so I'll, I, I love playing UCLA and playing underneath Ludwig was just unbelievable playing at Ludwig it's it's nothing like it it's an atmosphere that even if you look at MLS stadiums USL stadiums Ludwig has an unbelievable atmosphere that rivals those stadiums so I I get chills thinking about it and I think whenever you know, I step out there. It's always something special. So talking with Eric Matzlevich, a forward for the Maryland soccer team. And so we'll kind of talk about last year now, because obviously a huge, huge year. And through your first two years here, you were behind Sebastian Elney, who was kind of the guy, and obviously a, a write in on the, on the team sheet week in, week out. How did you kind of adjust to that role, kind of that impact guy? You knew you weren't always going to be the first one to start. You got some starts, but Seb was in front of you. What was that kind of like as a mentality, knowing that I'm going to come on, I only have a few minutes, but I have to make the most of it? Yeah. So obviously, it's a very different, um, it's a very different mentality from going on from starting. And my mentality was practically get in there and just tear it up. You know, do what you need to do, press, run, 
you know, get on the ball, do whatever you need to do. Have no expectations, have no, no goal set for yourself. Just go in there, work for the team, work for the result. Um, and that's about it. And playing behind Seb was, again, it didn't feel like it because he was an unbelievable guy to play behind. Obviously a great friend, a great teammate, some guy that I'll, that'll be with me, you know, in my life forever. Love playing with him, love being with him. And so learned so much again, because he kind of did the similar path of like through the national team and coming here, playing with Philadelphia Union. So he was definitely a mentor to look up to. And he taught me so much about the transition from coming from high school to playing in college and then what you need to do to succeed at college and what you need to do to be that, you know, menace in front of goal, you know, be that be that forward that you go up against that no one likes going up against. And so he taught me a lot of that and it was an incredible it was incredible coming in for him and whenever he came in for me, it was nothing there. It was the healthiest competition I've ever had. We were pushing each other, we were pulling each other. And so I, I, I can't thank enough uh, for him. And Seb, if you're listening to this, <laughs> thank you for for that. But yeah, coming in as an impact player and coming in as a sub, your mentality is, is different and you can kind of get wrapped up in the, oh, I'm not starting and I'm not doing this. I don't have a role to play. But when you come in, it, it's, it's kind of like put that all aside. Don't even think about that. You're as important as a player. Everybody is as important from, you know, the last person to the first person on the field. Um, and so it's it was just, it's incredible. It's a, it was a great learning experience, and, and I can't thank enough. Yeah. So from the first time I watched you step on the field, the thing that struck me was your energy and your work rate and just how hard you hustle and every time i talk to sasha about you the first word out of his mouth is workhorse every mm. single time where did that kind of that you're a very fiery player is mm. a word that i've used where does that come from like when did that start i know you said you were running around kind of chaos at the youth level but when did you kind of establish that i'm that workhorse kind of guy yeah so i love one of the first one of the first things is that i would get we'd wear we wear gps's mm -hmm. And I would get incredibly jealous <laughs> if someone ran more than me at, at, you know, playing. And so we would compare numbers. Um, obviously, when I was in England, we would wear GPSs. And I would always want to be the person with the highest the highest uh, mileage. And in order to do that, you got to press. you got to run. you got to work for people. So that was one aspect. Another aspect was just... I love pressing. I love wanting the ball. I love being on the ball. You know, you know, you don't want to play soccer without the ball. You know, and it's just like running around. Yeah. So, I want to get the ball back. I want to press, and it's just the way of the the hunger that you want for the ball, and especially for me, you want the ball to score goals. So I said, if I don't have the ball, I gotta work as hard or even harder to get the ball back as when I do have the ball to score. So, yeah, I probably also a combination of some other things in terms of of I get fired up for games and I get I get pretty intense. But, yeah, I you know, you want the ball. And the only way of doing that is, is pressing and, and making sure that the defenders feel uncomfortable. And so last season obviously didn't start the way that you guys wanted to over 400, close to 500 minutes without scoring a goal as one of those forwards, one of the guys that's looked to to put the ball in the back of the net. 
what was kind of the conversations that were had? Because that was a long spell of time that I'm sure was incredibly frustrating. What was your guys' mentality to try to turn that around? Yeah, so I think obviously the pressure kind of builds up in terms of of not scoring a goal. And you get a lot of people on the team turn to you and they want a solution. And then that can kind of snowball and it can just be a huge you know, effect where you get caught up. It's like, oh, I haven't scored a goal. I haven't done this. And it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And then the tension in the team is just intense. And so obviously... I don't want to speak for the other forwards of, of last year, but I, I, I'd be wrong to say that we weren't feeling it. We weren't feeling the, the pressure, but it's it's rising to the occasion. So it's it's either I feel that pressure and I'm going to fall or I feel that pressure and I'm going to rise to it. And it's and one of the it sounds cliche, but one of the things that I've been taught is that are you a man or a mouse? So it's are you going to rise up to the occasion or are you going to, you know, fall down and, and, and not do much? Mm-hmm. And so obviously it was it was tough but we kept saying you know keep going keep going keep going it'll come it'll come it'll come and eventually our first cold game game i think amar scored it with his back yeah, yeah. west virginia weird thing yeah I think we gave it to him <laughs> <laughs> um but it was a huge sigh of relief where it was like oh, now we can breathe now we can you know get back into it and then we can get back to our regular you know scoring goals so yeah the, the pressure builds up but you you want that you want to have that edge of of i'm going to score i'm going to put the ball in the back of that and so that pressure kind of paid off in the end santa barbara you guys lifted the national championship it's a cliche question but what was that like what was that feeling because you were on the field after you were squirting water bottles just going <laughs> probably crazier than anyone on that entire field what was that moment like obviously as a team, it's great. But for you, as somebody who committed to this school in eighth grade, to lift that national championship trophy, yeah, it's I can't I can't even describe the feeling. I get chills. It's an unbelievable feeling. You know, you work you work so hard for such a long time, and you want to see the, the you know the end result. And the end result um, is obviously winning a national championship. And so. Oh, I can't even put it into words. <laughs> I can't even put it into words. Yeah, I think after the game, I've I've just I was going crazy. I fell to the ground. I think I blacked out at one point. <laughs> I was seeing stars. It was just an un it was a crazy feeling and something again that I'll for like the people on that field, the team that we had the memories that I'll remember from that day, um, from that season, I'll remember for the rest of my life. Um, and so I just hope that other people can win national championships to know that feeling mm-hmm. and hopefully we can win another, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling that it, you, you want to bottle up and every time you're, you're having like a bad day, you just want to kind of <laughs> creak it a little bit. And so it, a little bit comes out, but not all of it. Yeah. Is yeah, uh, unbelievable. Just one word. And so, obviously, a lot of the guys on that team last year no longer with you guys. This year's will kind of shift on to the the current season, and a lot of turnover kind of all over the field. But you thought there was going to be quite a bit returning in the offense. Obviously, you're returning. And then you thought you were going to have Paul back, and Will you're adding Luke. Now, Paul went down with the ACL. Will is currently out. How did kind of those injuries shake up the beginning of the season? Because Will went down, I think it was like the 12th minute of the first game or something. Mm. Now, three games in, 
how has that kind of changed that dynamic? Yeah, um, it's definitely it's definitely changed it, and obviously you never and an injury is something that you don't want to wish on you know your worst enemy. Mm-hmm. It's it's a terrible thing to have uh, to happen, but you know you kind of have to pick your head up and you kind of have to move on. And so it's just it's something that it's a hurdle, and you not only do you have to get over individually, but you, we have to get over as a team. So it was a major loss uh, for Paul, but we know that even though he's he's not here, he's still with us. You know, we're I'm, I'm saying like he died, like <laughs> no. he, didn't, he didn't die. <laughs> just you not know? in the country currently. Yeah, he's not dead. He's <laughs> just he's just not in the country. Um, so yeah, he he's not with us but he's you know he's still part of the team he's a person that is going to be missed because he brought such a smile he brought such an energy everything was just so positive from him um so we're going to miss that but you know someone goes down and you pick them up and then it picks yourself up and um obviously with will just an incredible, incredible forward. The way his skills, the way he gets dangerous, the the situations he gets in and out of. But he'll, he'll be back for sure. I mean, he's he's has to be back and he's gonna do well. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk about the first game real quick. South Florida, obviously, pretty dramatic opening game of the season. And I know as a forward, you hate talking about this, but you had like two opportunities, I think, in the first half. One was that one-on-one with the keeper, yeah. and the other one, I watched the corner kick back. It bounced <laughs> in front of you. You're off the hook there. That's fine. <laughs> um, but what was it kind of like to like get the win, but also know that you personally had some chances, and you're that guy. You're that starter now. Seb's mm-hmm. gone. You're kind of the first one up top. What's the pressure kind of like there? Yeah. I mean, it, it obviously it, it hurts a little bit to not to not come away with that game without a goal, um, and to put because that game could have easily been, you know, racking up the goals and racking up the points, but again, you know, it's it, there's no I in team. So if the team if we win as a team, I'm happy, no matter what. And no matter if I play zero minutes, if I play ninety, if I get five goals, if I get one goal, as long as the team wins, I'm happy. And so that USF game, everyone, it was our first game. Everyone was just buzzing to come out. Everyone was just excited to play. And so, yeah, those two chances hurt a little bit. Um, we kind of not, we don't, we don't, we forget about those, move on. Um, but file it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. says, file it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we do that, but then uh, a win is all that matters. Mm-hmm. And then two disappointing results against Virginia and Audi Field. And then you guys just got back from L.A. Also be coming out like Thursday or Friday. So you didn't just get back, but you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Obviously a pretty interesting game top to bottom against UCLA. But you guys put on a pretty positive performance. It wasn't the result. What are you taking from that as you go into a national championship rematch against Akron Friday? Yeah, so it's incredibly unfortunate that we didn't get the result against UCLA we played so well and they just they had a couple good goals very unfortunate to get a result uh, as I said before but you know we grew as a team and we grew as an organization and and what we need to do um and it's there's always a learning curve so it's a big game against Akron this Friday obviously it means a bit more because last year you know we beat them in the national championship so they're going to come out we're obviously going to come out hopefully the fans come out (laughs) um but 
Yeah, so it's a learning curve, and the best thing about it is that we have time to work on it. Mm-hmm. You know, usually in the college soccer season, you have a game Friday, a game Monday. You know, it's the quickest turnaround. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, we get back, we have uh, an opportunity to like digest the game, go over it, and then we have like a weeks of training. So it's it's perfect that we can learn from that and then apply what we need to learn from that, not only in the game, but in training and we can work on it. And let's say that if something isn't working, we can tweak it. Then we have that time to do it. And so it's, it's, it's a great opportunity this Friday. Um, and obviously we're, we're, we're looking to get a win as always. So to move off the field, just cause you and I were talking part of the reason we wanted to do this because you guys are college guys. You have personalities <laughs> beyond the post game quotes about how many goals you scored or whatever. So, just off the top of my head, I'm going to fire a couple rapid-fire questions at you. Just Perfect. First thing that comes to mind, whatever. Yeah. Favorite movie? Oh. You can give me a few. It's not It's not. Forrest time. Gump, probably a quality. That's a good one. Um, and then I'm a huge fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. things, you know? Yeah. I just put those on and just sit back. What TV show or what show do you binge watch on Netflix, whatever? Uh, my Well, my favorite show is Breaking Bad. Okay. But I just finished Mindhunter on Netflix. I haven't seen that it's one. It's about like uh, just FBI nonsense. That and sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's really good. What's on your pregame pump-up playlist? Mm. Do you have a pregame pump-up playlist? Here and there. I kind of just vibe to whatever the guys are vibing what are the guys, to. What are the guys vibing to? So it's a bit of, it's a bit of like rap, hip-hop. I'm a huge fan of the EDM, you know, okay. the house music. So whenever that gets on, you know, <laughs> I like that. Um, but before, before, so that's usually on when we get to the locker room. Mm-hmm. But before, I just, I like a lot of, I put on some country, you there know, you try not to get the, the heart rate up too much. Uh-huh. Um, and just ride the wave onto the game. Favorite food? Pizza. Yeah? Pizza. I was going to say favorite food and then favorite <laughs> cheat day food, but then there you go. Uh, most interesting class you've taken at Maryland so far? Ooh. What is your major, by the way? My major, international relations. Okay. What yeah. made you want to get into that? So my mom, you know, being from D.C., um, obviously pretty political oriented, yeah. you know. Um, but my mom uh, majored in international relations. She's done a ton of stuff internationally, so... Uh, and I love traveling and I just wanted to get into, uh, wasn't smart enough for international business. So I had to pick the other international. <laughs> yeah. So then it doesn't have to be in that, but most interesting class you've taken. Uh, hmm. I took a, I took a, a terrorism class. Really? It was a states of emergency where, uh, if you're a student and you're listening to this, highly recommend this class. <laughs> think it's BSST 336 um, and they you you pretty much the whole semester it's a simulated terrorist attack really? and you are assigned like whether you're a police officer or you're the FBI CIA and you respond to the terrorist attack that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It wasn't like that bad of a yeah. it wasn't that bad of a class. <laughs> <laughs> Who has the messiest locker on the team? Who's like the most unkept? Mm, yes, man. we are going to throw people under the bus. Yeah, we are. Uh, Craig Eichelberg. Yeah, he's got a messy locker. It used, to, yeah, it, it, he, yeah. Craig is Craig is a messy guy. Okay, yeah. Who is probably the the funniest on the team? That oh, just the quickest kind of wit. Oof. 
that's tough. We have so many funny guys, and 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 I'm I'm I laugh very easily, <laughs> so I uh, I think a lot of things are funny, but definitely Brian Padilla. Yeah, he's a, he's a clown. He's a funny guy. He's got the quickest thing. He's got the oh yeah, he's a funny guy. We just he just did his first interview in two years here, so I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to see that too yeah. much. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, your go-to karaoke song. Oh, or I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys. That's a good one. Yeah, I could definitely see you absolutely <laughs> nailing that. If you were going to do a duet with karaoke, somebody on the team, who would you pick? Uh, Ryan Bloomberg. Yeah, just because I like the accent. <laughs> He's outgoing. Um, and your duet, your you know your duo partner, it's got to be an outgoing guy. Yeah, yeah. Who thinks they're the best singer on the team and is actually awful? Um. Well, it used to be Paul Bin. Okay. Paul Bin thought he was a good singer. Yeah. I didn't think he was that good of a singer. <laughs> um. But yeah. So Paul Bin. Um. But then also, Johannes is just. He doesn't think he's good. <laughs> he's just shocking at. He's terrible at singing. Yeah. Do you have any secret talents? Special talents or anything? Talents. Mm, no. Play any instruments. I can juggle like with my hands, okay. but that's about it. That's that's about it. I know one magic trick, like a card trick, like a card trick. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm kind of a one trick pony type guy, yeah. you know. I mean, you got the soccer. <laughs> that. that has to count for something. <laughs> so, um, is there one thing that people should know about you that's not probably not in your bio, not hasn't mm. been hasn't been covered yet? Well, I, I like to travel. Yeah. So I really Most like interesting place you've traveled. Um, I went to, <laughs> I went to the murder capital of the world, and San Pedro Sula, Honduras. Voluntarily? No, I was playing soccer there. Oh, okay. I was gonna <laughs> say, it's like, oh, that seems like a nice trip. Um, I went there, played soccer there, and it was it was just eye opening to the whole, yeah. you know, how people live, different cultures, and and how, you know poverty is around the world um so yeah that was pretty interesting um but yeah that's a, i mean i like to travel i like to i like to try new food huge foodie yeah love love trying new foods yeah you know if you have if you want to make me food out there you know <laughs> you know where to find it. <laughs> yeah. do you guys play a lot of video games on the team like in your free time yeah what, what do you guys play most huge Fortnite. yeah Fortnite for sure who is the best and who is the worst oh okay <laughs> I hope the guys hear this too. Yeah. So, uh, whew, I'm no good. Okay. I'm no good. I try to. I try to I hold my that. own. I'm no good. It's definitely a tie between Matt or Ben. Yeah. The twins. Really? They are Fortnite gods. Wow. So I don't want to say one is better than the other because I also live with them. Yeah. And if they hear this, then they can work that out. Work that <laughs> yeah. out amongst themselves. Yeah. yeah. But they 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 take the cake in terms of Fortnite. Interesting. In terms of FIFA, yeah, it might. It's probably Brian. Brian's yeah. Brian's a FIFA guy. What is your go-to team in FIFA? Like Real Madrid, yeah, PSG, yeah, one of the two. <laughs> Gotta go for the big guns. <laughs> yeah. And then, do you support a club in world? I do. Yeah. So I, uh, my uncle, uh, he's a big Arsenal fan. Okay. And so grew up watching Arsenal. Um, and so huge Gooner. Been to the stadium many times, yeah. seen many games. 
Um, not doing too hot right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, huge Arsenal supporter. Were you, were you here when they trained here? I was. Yeah. What was that like? Kind of geeking out. <laughs> <laughs> Total fanboy. Moment. Total fanboy. Um, we had like a, they used our locker room, yeah. and I, I one time we were training here over the summer. And like Hector Bellerin was coming out of the locker room, had to just hold my breath a yeah. bit, you know, not say anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just geeked out, was salivating That's everything. Awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. And so, final thing, what is one thing that people should know about this team for this season? One thing is that we're such a tight group of guys. I think that no matter what happens on the field, we're always going to be a tight group. And our chemistry is just something that is unbelievable and unmatched. I th- I think in any team in the NCAA, and it helped. You can definitely see it in our connections. You know, offensively, defensively, the way we talk to one another. Um, so yeah, our chemistry is really strong, and it's 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 an unbelievable group to be a part of. You know, the guy, everyone is just incredible. Um, and I'm so lucky to be part of the team. So awesome. Yeah. Well, Eric, thank you so much for your time. And yeah. Being on here. Thanks for Appreciate having me. Man. Yeah. All right. Thank you. You're listening to the Ludwig Lowdown with Brendan Hartlove and Tom Hindle. So once again, I'd like to thank Eric Matzlevich for sitting down with me for a very long period of time and his very busy schedule. And we, we had a lot of fun talking uh, to each other there. So we'll now pivot from our talk with Eric into a game where he could have an impact Friday night against Akron, where Maryland's going to need to get some offense going. So obviously this is a national championship rematch from last year. The Terps took down the Zips in Santa Barbara to lift the national championship trophy, their fourth title, third under Sasha Sarovsky, and kind of similar circumstances for both teams as they come into this year. A lot of turnover for both teams. Yeah. And it's really unusual, right? You have two of the better programs in the country, to be honest, coming coming into a marquee matchup that really should have, or still could be, mm-hmm. it's worth noting, should have been one of the best, you know, games between any sides in the nation yeah. this year, full stop. Instead, you've got basically a contest between two, let's be honest, losing and underperforming teams. Mm-hmm. So it will be a it would be really interesting because this that you talk a lot in in English footy about a six pointer mm-hmm. is in three points one for the other team and three points lost. In mm-hmm. this case, it's a big win for one team and a a big loss for the other because it really it's it's a context providing result whatever it may be. Yeah. So Akron coming into this game zero and three and. Really, when you get down to it, and Sasha said this the other day, they could be 2-1, and one, they could be 3-0. and oh. They've played some tough contests, but uh, their first game of the season was at Xavier. They lost 2 nothing. They still had 16 shots in that game. I mean, that's that's just one of those, isn't it? Yeah. You can't. It's unbelievable. Xavier scored in the 12th minute and then again in the 77th. So Akron had just absolutely bombarded them mm-hmm. for 90 minutes and just couldn't find the back of the net. So, to be honest, credit to Xavier, but if you're the Akron coach after that, you throw your hands in the air and say, what were we supposed to do? Yeah. And so then they came back home in a 2-1 loss to Stanford. That one, much more excusable. Stanford has won national championships. They've been one of the 
consistently better programs in the nation over the past few years. So that one, uh, they got on the board but couldn't squeak out the win there. And then they go on the road to Creighton, another 2-1 loss there. And it looked like a wide-open game from looking at the box score and the stats. Yeah, it's interesting. Road wins in college soccer, no matter who you are, are pretty difficult to come by, especially against relatively unfamiliar opponents Uh, or, you know, non-conference games, Mm -hmm. really. And this one, this one was just sort of crazy looking. You had all three goals in the span of seven minutes from the 32nd to the 39th. Mm-hmm. And then 15 shots for Creighton, 13 for Akron. So when you've got 28 shots total, great math skills there. there. You go. And only three <laughs> goals in the game. Just, I mean, it must have been warfare, mate. Like, yeah. And the, the fact that that Akron couldn't quite get there seems to be a, a bit of a recurring theme, to be honest. But then again, maybe they come to Ludwig on Friday night and that's the night when they finally start finishing. So you've got to be wary if you're Maryland because this still sounds like, looks like a very good attacking team. And Maryland will be trying to figure out their attack as well because William James Hervé is still out with an injury picked up in, I believe, the 12th minute of the South Florida game. He's yeah. missed the games after that. And then Sasha confirmed that Luke Brown is still not ready for Friday night against, um, you're giving me this wide eye look, but apparently you did not know that. So yes, Luke Brown is not available uh, Friday night against Akron either. And so they will have to try to rely on Eric Matzlevich and Brian Padilla and a little bit of those other uh, attacking pieces as well. But it will also be t-shirt night. So if you're a student and you're coming out of the game, the first <laughs> however many it is, we'll get a Maryland soccer t-shirt 1, that has 1,200. Thank you for that confirmation. So you didn't know that Luke Brown will not be playing, but you knew how many get the get the t-shirts. You so. know, unfortunately, I just assume that my fellow Brits are always going to be on the pitch no matter what. And it's we're, we haven't confirmed what the injury is or how long it is. It just seems like it's something that's kind of being taken day by day. And that's us kind of making that, that conclusion ourselves. It hasn't been confirmed by the team. But no, he will not be ready to go against Akron. Uh, the game against Villanova on Monday still remains to be seen. So now we will shift our focus to the game Monday night against Villanova. And it was supposed to be an away game for Maryland. However, it has been moved to Ludwig Field. Originally, it was supposed to take place at Talon Energy Stadium in Chester, Pennsylvania, the home of the Philadelphia Union. But then there, were, there was some conflict of the venue. So Villanova asked to move it down here to Ludwig Field. And that's part of Maryland's now very home-heavy schedule and part of their now four-game homestand in a row. So obviously, it'll always be nice to have Maryland under the lights at Ludwig, those new lights at Ludwig. Um, <laughs> plug, plug. Light plug always. And so, but Villanova come, comes into when we're recording this podcast, 4-0 and already on the season. They picked up a win over Delaware, 5 nothing at home. Big win. And they traveled down to William & Mary where they picked up a one nothing win on the road and came back home for one nothing wins over both Temple and Fordham. So, They've been scoring. They scored a lot against Delaware, but then they've yeah. been just picking up kind of one-goal wins and keeping clean sheets. Um, they haven't conceded so far on the season by the time we're recording this podcast um, at the end of this week. So um, that's going to be perhaps a test for Maryland because Villanova, while they haven't played exactly giants in the soccer college soccer world, they have put the ball in the back of the net and they've kept the ball out of the back of the net and I don't care who you play against that's that's worth taking note of if we win that's a good thing but if we lose <laughs> but point is might be one of those teams Villanova or one of the worst teams to play against right now 
I mean, we'll, we'll see how that Penn State result goes for them this Friday. I think that could really change. If they if they get a negative result there, then maybe their mentality is a little bit different mm-hmm. coming coming to Ludwig. Okay. But if you're 5-0 and coming to Ludwig, playing with confidence, scoring a lot of goals while not conceding some goals, could end up being one of the more difficult matchups of the entire season for Maryland. So I would not be looking forward to playing this Villanova team right now. Uh, but at the same time, if you're thinking about this from a practical RPI, NCAA tournament mm-hmm. credibility, it could be one of those wins that's a really, really big one. So we'll now move into our pro Terp section and a couple updates on a few of the guys playing at the next level. Uh, the biggest name, obviously, is Zach Steffen. He was called into the national team camp this past week, and he wore the armband and started in the 3 nothing loss to Mexico last Friday. And it was kind of an up and down performance. It really wasn't a great performance for the team as a whole, but there were moments of that game that Stefan struggled. He was put under pressure a few times and he had one giveaway that did end up in the back of the net causing, uh, he was kind of forced into giving away a goal there, but not exactly the result that the U.S. national team wanted, not the result that Stefan wanted himself. I mean, yeah, he's still a young keeper. Mm-hmm. He's still going to make mistakes, but it's, a little bit disappointing, isn't it? It's yeah. a U.S. national team. You're playing against Mexico, one of the biggest games you're going to play all year, if not the. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a blunder, but nothing nothing for concern. He's had an excellent season thus far in the Bundesliga, mm-hmm. as you often like to tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's 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 one of those things where you go, oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, and but you move on. Bigger and better things for that guy. And sticking at the national team level, but coming down to the U23s, Donovan Pines was called into that U23 camp, as we mentioned on the previous episode. And they played against Japan in a friendly. He was subbed on in the second half, and the U.S. picked up a 2-0 win over Japan as part of that road to the Olympic qualifying process that Donovan Pines is almost certainly going to be a part of. So... Um, had a had a decent game, nothing to stand out uh, positively or negatively, but I definitely think that Pines will be a key member of that team, either coming off the bench or starting as well. And to be honest, that man is probably going to have bigger bigger sights, bigger aspirations oh, absolutely. than the U23 team. Absolutely, and I think you're kind of going to see that as it goes, because again, he's still in his first professional season. Like, he left college early, so he's still incredibly young, and you saw... He had some great performances early in the season for DC United, was one of the first names on the team sheet for a while, then picked up that unfortunate injury, and once he came back, he hasn't really been the same for DC United, but he's absolutely going to continue to develop, and like I said, he's only in his first year, and he's a big part of that under-23 national team, and he has the physical attributes, and he is developing technically and tactically as he goes along, so I Definitely think that we could see him suiting up for the U.S. men's national team. Um, and is he going to be kind of the next? I'm not saying he's exactly the same, but Omar Gonzalez, who is a very tall, successful center back, won championships with Maryland, and goes on to play for the pros and then moves on to, to the national team level and has some success there as well. So obviously we'll continue to watch Donovan Pines and see how he develops to the national team level. Now one player that well really could develop to the national team level is Chase Gasper, who we talked about quite a bit. Who, on the, who talked about? You talked about Chase Gasper you, on Brandon. the last podcast. And so the day that our podcast dropped uh, last week, 
was also a day that I came across some quotes about Chase Gasper from Stuart Holden on Fox Sports 1. Stuart Who Holden. was absolutely listening to us, by the way. He was. It was It was just because of this podcast. So, Stu, thank you. Thank you again for tuning in. <laughs> um, but it was it was interesting because not only was it the same day, but it was some pretty high praise for Chase Gasper from a former U.S. national team member. Stu Holden was on the U.S. national team, played in World Cups, Gold Cups, all that. His career ended early, but now he's one of the broadcasters for Fox Sports and has been doing it for a long time. And I'm going to quote him here. On Chase Gasper, he says, quote, He has a great left foot. His one-on-one defending against speedy wingers has been good, and you can see his confidence grow from game to game as he's starting to take more risks. And I think that's a very fair assessment of Chase Gasper watching him play throughout the MLS season this year. He wasn't getting a ton of minutes or a ton of starts at the beginning of the year. Then they traded away one of their left backs. There were some injury mishaps for Minnesota United. And he's now that starting left back. And he's done a very good job there. And Stuart Holden goes on to say, quote, If he can continue to contribute in a big way until the end of the season, coaches at the U.S. men's national team level will have a close eye on him. And Can't disagree with that. Absolutely. He is a very solid defender, a very intelligent guy. Um, and left back is an area of concern for the U.S. men's national team, and it has been pretty much since I've been alive. I don't remember <laughs> ever feeling confident in a U.S. national team left back. Well, that's the thing. It's not just, though, because he plays in a position of need, though. No, it's, absolutely not. It's absolutely not that. Yeah, but he's put on several good performances, and obviously Greg Berhalter, the U.S. men's national team coach, keeps a close eye on Major League Soccer and some of the young guys coming through there. And with the performances that Chase has been putting in week in, week out for Minnesota, I think he definitely could get a nod. And you have that January camp for the U.S. men's national team each year where none of the European guys are brought in because they're all in the middle of their season. But the January camp is a time that the U.S. national team can take a look at a lot of the major league soccer players and a lot of the younger guys coming up. And I think we absolutely could see Chase Gasper and possibly Donovan Pines in that mix as well come January. Yeah, agreed. So that will do it for the third episode of the Ludwig Lowdown. Maryland will take on Akron Friday night at 6.30. You can listen to the game on WMUC Sports Radio. I will have that call alongside Joe Malfa, who we were the two broadcasters on the call the last time Maryland played Akron back in Santa Barbara National Championship. Yeah, oh, yeah. did anything happen? Yeah, just, just a little something. Just All a right. little something. So, Not bad. Um, that will be great to be back on the call with Joe for uh, kind of a, a moment to kind of relive those emotions maybe. I've got to ask, are you sure. superstitious with those kind of things? I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Okay, office quote aside, yes. but seriously, do you... Not really. I mean, Joe and I were, when we had called games together, Joe and I were undefeated. Maryland as a team, right. either in soccer, women's soccer, basketball, whatever. And Maryland had not lost a game until Audi Field. So you claim credit for said victories? No, Joe does because he tweeted it and then he jinxed it, and that's why Maryland lost it out. He feel right, I was mad course. at him for that. Of course, um, I'm not. No, I mean Joe and I talked a little bit about for the first game of the season this year. Do we wear the exact same thing that we wore the last time Maryland played out in Santa Barbara? Interesting. And so we'll see. I'm not. I'm not sure if uh, because that was like a full suit kind of occasion. I don't know if I'm going to go a full suit for 
Friday at home a regular season game against Akron on the radio. So, Shorts and t-shirt uh, all day. No, no, not, none, none of that. <laughs> none of that. And there's no casual Fridays at WMUC. There so. absolutely should be. Um, but that game will be 6.30 Friday night against Akron, a national championship rematch. Again, Joe Mouth and I will have the call there, and you can follow Tom on Twitter for all of his articles and live tweeting the game. Your Twitter, again, is... For some reason, Thomas underscore Hindle underscore second underscore tricks a lot of people there, Brandon. But yeah, I should have some updates, some banter, some actual, hopefully, reasonably astute analysis of what's going on. So yeah, give me a follow. Um, Heckle, enjoy, laugh, ignore. (laughs) All all publicity is good publicity. Yeah, take your pick. Exactly. Yeah, I'll I'll be around and I'll be chatting about what's going on. And then you can follow myself at Hartlove on Twitter and then our station at WMUC Sports on Twitter, Facebook, and our website, WMUCSports.net. And so that will now do it for the third episode of the Ludwig Lowdown. Tom, thank you again for your time. It's been absolutely terrific. And again, tune in 6.30 Friday night for Maryland versus Akron on WMUC Sports. This has been the Ludwig Lowdown on WMUC Sports Radio, your Terps, your station. Thanks for listening to the Ludwig Lowdown. We hope to have you right back here for the next edition with your hosts, Brendan Hartlove and Tom Hindle. Thanks, everybody, and go Terps!